0: Hello and welcome to the podcast on Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at emmanuelag.com. So in the chapter before this, this, this miracle you'll find in John chapter 11. But if you'll go to John chapter 10 and verse 31, Jesus is in Jerusalem in John chapter 10. And it says that the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. They were always looking for this opportunity to take him out. (laughs) He had to walk very carefully when he was in Jerusalem. He had to you know, make sure he was in crowded areas and able to escape. And Jesus starts a conversation with them. He says, I've shown you many good works from the father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And this is one of the themes in John, these good works, these signs that Jesus was doing. If you look at the very first chapter of John with me, when, um, do you remember when Philip went out and got his brother, Nathaniel, and he said, we found the Christ, we found the Messiah, and it's Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he said, come and see. So they're coming to Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 47 Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered, <laughs> Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. No, I have no idea what was going on under that fig tree, what he was doing. I've heard speculation on what he might have been doing under the fig tree, but it was obviously a significant time in his life that he remembered because Jesus said, I saw you there. And it moved him to say, you are the Messiah. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He just unloaded all the titles on him. All of them. And Jesus answered him in verse 50. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? (laughs) You ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) Wait, is that what he said? He said, yeah, you will see greater things. And that's the same thing. You, You haven't seen anything yet. Just you wait. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Come on. Wow. And they did. They saw so much. Could you imagine that three years walking with Jesus? Just what you see would affect you forever, would it not? And Jesus is not afraid to give us signs and wonders. This is what he wants to do in our midst. He wants us to be the carriers of signs and wonders. Not so that we can follow signs, but that we can be the believers that signs are following us. That we can speak his gospel and he can confirm it with signs and following because he wants the world to see his glory. Welcome, thank you. (laughs) And then if you'll go with me to the end of the book in chapter 20, which is the next to the last chapter, verse 30, it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, You may have life in his name. He wants you to be a possessor of the life of God. In 1 John, it says, he who has the son has life. He who has life. See, the life of God, eternal life, the zoe life, if you want to look at the Greek word zoe, which means life, when you look at that, it's not just this present life, but living forever. It's actually the quality, God's quality, God's kind of life that you can have right now in this present age as you're living this life. He came to connect us to God. Come on, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? I know that's kind of the theme of what I've been saying the whole year and whatever half I've been preaching, but uh, that's true. That's what it's all about. Christianity is about connecting us once again to God. Yeah. Yeah. The purpose of a sign is, is to bring you to that crisis decision where you can no longer deny the evidence, but you can come to terms with this book and the claims of this book on your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what the purpose of a sign is. But, you know, even though he'll give us signs and Jesus did many signs, there's people who in the presence of signs, they're still not going to believe. So just be ready for that. You know, there are skeptics. And to a skeptic, a sign does little good because they've already chosen not to believe. That's why we need to be careful. We need to keep our hearts always open toward God because we don't want to double down on unbelief. We don't want to decide how God's going to be and then fix our our minds and close our minds so much that if God's leading us another way, we won't flow with him, right? Right. I'm not talking about getting into heresy or anything like that. There are certain things that are true that we cannot back off of, but we need to be flexible to God because the Jews thought that they were defending the word of God when they rejected and hung their Messiah on the cross. Don't think it can't happen to us. We need to have tender hearts toward God and toward the spirit. We need to read the word every time as if we were hearing it for the first time. We preached on, you know, the other signs in John. So in chapter six, remember right after Jesus feeds the 5,000, look at John chapter six fourteen. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And they're so moved by the, the sign that they said, man, he, this is the prophet. This is the one Moses talked about. He's come into the world. And by 15, 16 verses later, they said to him, verse 30, So then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? (laughs) These are the people who who were over there in the wilderness who ate the food that was multiplied. And then 15 verses later, so what sign do you prove? (laughs) You know, um, people say, oh, we just got to show the world Jesus. And then they'll believe. But Jesus came and showed the world Jesus and they nailed him to a cross. And so they'll probably want to nail you to a cross if you show the world Jesus. Right. But you're still called to show the world Jesus. Yeah. Come on, we're still called to show the world Jesus. We have a responsibility to be flowing in signs and wonders. But there will still be people who don't believe. But you know what? The one who doesn't have cancer now when they thought they could have, they'll believe. <laughs> right. They'll be happy, right? Right. The one who's got peace now when they've had turmoil before, they'll believe. And come on, the one who was outside of God and addicted to substance abuse, and now they have peace with God and peace in their mind, they'll believe. Come on, it's worth it. It's worth it. Who cares about the critics and the skeptics? Because they've always been there. They're not going to change. You know, you would have thought that the Jews would have been absolutely thrilled that their Messiah had finally arrived. They'd been waiting for thousands of years. I mean, it's been thousands of years they were waiting for him. And when he shows up, they reject him. We don't want to let these signs interfere with our political agenda. So what? Forget your temple. Forget your sacrifices. Something better than the temple is here. Something better than the sacrifices is here. It's the fulfillment of all of that, but they wouldn't let it go. They clung to it and they killed the Messiah and kept their traditions. And then in the end, they lost it all anyway. What traditions are we holding on to that will keep us as a movement? You know, we know, we, we look at the statistics, the church is in trouble in America. What traditions are we holding on to that will keep us as a movement from fully stepping into what God wants to do? Come on, seek him first. Seek the kingdom first. Amen. Come on, it doesn't matter what the politicians are doing. If the Messiah is here, we need to follow him. It'll all work out the way he wants it to. But we'll lose our influence, we'll lose the temple, we'll lose the sacrifice, we'll lose our nations. The Greeks will come in, the Romans will come in and, and, and shut us down. You're gonna lose all those anyway. Wow. Follow the Messiah. Come on, let's not let the comforts and the pleasures that we find you know, temporary comforts, temporary pleasures in this temporary life keep us from following God with all our hearts. Come on. The only hope for America right now, really, the only hope for America right now is for you and for me to follow God with all my heart. It's the only hope for America. The only hope for your family right now, the only hope for your life right now is for you to follow God with all your heart. So we have Jesus. Look, look, go back to John chapter 10 and let's go back to verse 37. Let me, yeah, let's look at that. So Jesus says, He's saying, which of these works do you stone me for? And he says, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. That's all. Hey, come on. That's a lot of weight put on works, isn't it? If I can't perform, then don't believe me. Come on. We need to walk in that kind of confidence with God. Remember Elijah and, and calling down fire and the prophets of Baal, that showdown? Come on. God is looking for a showdown. And we keep making it soft and giving ourselves a way out. But God's looking for a showdown with the prophets of Baal. Jesus says, if I'm not doing the works, then don't believe me. You shouldn't believe me. But if I do them, even if you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Come on, God is with us. That means we can do things that other people can't do because God does them in us. Oh, come on. This got real for some reason. This isn't even in my notes, man. (laughs) This is, wow. God's looking for this. He wants us. We need to be those people who can stand there and say, if I can't perform, if I can't show you the power of God, don't believe me. But if I can, don't deny him. Mm -hmm. Praise God. So they get mad at him. Verse 39 And they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Jesus got really good at escaping through the crowd. He did it several times. In fact, if you read in the book of Luke, that's how he started his ministry. They were trying to drive him off a cliff, and he escaped through the crowd. That might be a good talent to learn. (laughs) Probably missionary schools should teach you how to escape through the crowd. There's probably some techniques that we can learn. We might need to sometime escape. (laughs) But uh, he went away again across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing at first. So he leaves Jerusalem, goes back across the Jordan into the wilderness where John had been baptizing, and that's where he remained. And it says, many came to him, and they said, John did no sign. But everything John said about this man was true, and they believed him there. So we pick up the story today in John chapter 11. And Jesus had just escaped, like I said, being arrested or being stoned rather in Jerusalem. Now he's out here in the wilderness with friends, friends uh, who believed on him. And John chapter 11 says this, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Now you got to understand, Bethany is just like two miles from Jerusalem. Okay. The Jewish country where they were just trying to kill him. (laughs) The village of uh, Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, she didn't actually do it yet at this time. You'll read about it, I think, in chapter 12. But what's important to know is this was a specific family. Uh, it may be even a family that the early church knew, you know. These people after the resurrection, they were still they were part of the church, right? So people very likely knew Lazarus and knew Mary and Martha. Uh, during the time of the early church. And one of the uh, commentaries, or actually several, the speculation is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke maybe didn't even record this miracle with his name on purpose to protect him from persecution because they wrote much earlier. John, who wrote much later, uh, went ahead and said, yeah, let me tell you about this miracle that Jesus did with Lazarus. And um, so this is a specific family that Jesus knew. It's also interesting that Jesus starts his, his his first sign in the book of John was with the family at a wedding. And the last sign in the book of John is with a family at a graveside. (laughs) The most happiest occasion and the most sorrowful occasion. And Jesus is there in them all. He never leaves us. Come on. He's with us. The whole spectrum. He's with us. Come on. So the sister's sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. You know, the first thing I think is so interesting. The first thing Jesus does is speak a word. At this point, it doesn't matter what else happens. Jesus spoke the end. The sickness is not going to end in death. He could have stayed there for a month because he already determined this sickness will not end in death. Come on. When you have a word of the Lord, man, you can count on it. He said this sickness will not end in death. He didn't. He wasn't in a hurry. He already determined the end from the beginning. Come on. That's good, isn't it? Yes. And he says this sickness will end in death, but God will get glory through it. There seems to be two tracks of glory that I see here. One is just the glory of him of raising Lazarus and showing, displaying his power over death and the grave. Come on, that gives glory to God. Amen. It's like the, the man born blind. He was glorified when? When he was healed. The way God is glorified is when we bring life and healing into this decaying and dying world. That's, you know, that man who was born blind, he was, he was born blind. He was an adult. He was blind for a long time. And doesn't say anything about him bringing glory to God until he was healed. That's where he brought glory to God. When God has the opportunity to fix what's broken, that glorifies God. When he has an opportunity to bring life into where death ruled and reigned in this world, where he has the opportunity to bring healing where sickness has been ruling and dominating, when he has the ability to bring in peace where, where people are living in torment, that's where he gets glory. That's when people fall on their knees and give glory to God. Come on. You know, there's no way you can read the Bible, especially the New Testament, and come to the conclusion that God is somehow honored, you know, by uh, uh, this creation suffering decay and ruin. You just don't get that from reading the Bible. The the Bible says that the creation was given over to decay in Romans 8.21 so that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's where we're headed. That's God's heart. And we get a taste of that right now by the power of the spirit. So God is glorified whenever we bring his freedom, his liberation, his life, his governance into this present world. That's our opportunity today, because when we go into that other age, we won't have that opportunity anymore. Right now, you can glorify God by getting your prayers answered and bringing his glory into this world. That's a high calling. It's a high calling. What an honor. Thank you, Lord. What an honor. Lord, use us that way. Father God, use us. We are willing, Lord. Teach us what we need to teach. Lord, we will become what we need to become to be those who bring you honor and glory in this world and in this age. Amen. You know, we're headed to an age where there is no more sorrow, no more death, and no more pain. We're supposed to be a kind of first fruits here, right? Doesn't mean that we'll never die. Doesn't mean that we'll be exempt from life storms. You know, the Bible doesn't teach that. But as we live in this world, we are partakers of the Holy Spirit. Yes. You know, there is no temple right now. <laughs> that temple was a place where people went, where God, uh, His presence was manifested among His people. There is no temple, but you are the temple. Nobody, if they want to get to God, they don't have to make a journey to Jerusalem. <laughs> they just need to get to a Christian. And we should be able to give them God. We should be able to manifest the spirit of God in our lives. Come on. That's good. That's good. So the other track of glory, though. So that's Jesus being glorified in his, in his um, victory over death. The other track of glory is the glorification of Jesus' death on the cross. You know, the Bible seems to use that as a term referring to his death and resurrection, that whole thing that happened. And this miracle brought Jesus one step closer to that. It says, this illness does not end in death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified for it. Jesus was faced right now with the decision. Do I stay where I am, cross the Jordan, or do I go over where they're trying to kill me? And then going over to where they were trying to kill him, he moved one step closer to being killed by the Jews. Because if you'll skip down to the end, um, to verse 47 in chapter 11, it says that the chief priests gathered the council together and said, what are we going to do? For Listen, they gathered their council together. The council, I'm convinced, is like a modern day committee. You know committees? Anybody ever been blessed to be in a committee? Come on. <laughs> Yeah, okay, Look, I, I, I found this about committees. A committee is a thing that takes a week to do what a good man can do in an hour. (laughs) A committee is a body that keeps minutes but wastes hours. (laughs) We always carry out by committee anything in which any one of us alone would be able to do. Or no, carry out by committee anything in which any one of us alone would be too reasonable to persist. (laughs) You don't want to do it, get a committee to it. (laughs) And that's how it works. A conference is a gathering of people who singly can do nothing, but together can decide that nothing can be done. <laughs> yep. I've searched all the parks in all the cities and found no statues or monuments to committees. <laughs> Come on. A committee is a group of the unprepared, appointed by the unwilling to do the unnecessary. <laughs> a camel. Looks like a horse that was planned by a committee. (laughs) To err is human, but to really screw things up requires a design committee of bureaucrats. (laughs) So here's this committee, and later this evening they'll meet, and they'll say, what are we going to do? Because everybody's believing in Jesus because Lazarus is raised from the dead. So they came up with this idea. Somebody puts it out. I know, let's kill Lazarus too. No, we can't do that because he already raised him up once. If he raises them up again, it'll just be worse. I mean, come on, only a committee would come up with this stuff. So here's the council. Here's the committee. Verse 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered the council and said, what are we going to do? This man performs many signs. Verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nations. Skip down to verse 53. It goes on. There's a prophecy. You can read it. But for the sake of time, I want to read verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. This is the time when the council officially conspired to put him to death. All the other times it was opportunity. they're picking up stones that happen, You know what I mean? Now the council has met. the committee has made its judgment. We're going to kill him. When he comes, we're going to arrest him. We're going to put him to death. Jesus was one step closer to his glorification if he goes to help Lazarus. So you see the glory of, of raising Lazarus and displaying his power and one step closer to his glorification on the cross. So, look at verse 5 of chapter 11. Go back up to chapter 5. I'm going to pick it up. It says, Jesus loved Mary, or Martha, and her sister, and Lazarus. Verse 6 So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Probably they're saying, Are you crazy? Are you trying to get yourself killed? They, were, they had the stones in their hands. They were ready to kill you. You slipped away. We all had to scatter. <laughs> I wonder how that worked, really. You know, Jesus and the 12, and they're ready to kill Jesus, and he slips away. What do they do? <laughs> <That> awkward. <laughs> you think about it. You know, when you start meditating on these things, and you, know, you don't know for sure how some of those things happen, but you put yourself there, and you see that this was reality. This is not just, you know, this is not just a story. This is something that happened. Those disciples had to come across the Jordan too. You know, and the one time they put him in the boat and he sent him on ahead and he escaped to the mountains, right? Uh, But uh, I don't know how he got out of Jerusalem, but he escaped from being stoned and, and he's ready to go back. And the disciples are like, are you crazy? It was just, they just were trying to kill you. They've not gotten over it yet. You show up again. They're probably still holding the stones. They probably got backpacks full of stones just waiting for you to pop up again. They're not going to miss this time. After saying these things, I'm going to go down to verse 11. He says, after saying these things, he said to him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. we are still looking for a chance not to go. See, Jesus is being really nice here talking about death as sleeping, right? Jesus had spoken about his death, it says in verse 13, but they thought he was talking about rest in sleep. See, but Jesus can be figurative about death, and we can too, because why? Death is a temporary state, right? It's not permanent. It's not forever. It's temporary. Death is not the final state. In Luke 20, 37 and 38, you remember this, it says... uh, Jesus was talking about marriage, I think, was the context, and the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection, they were just making a mockery of it, and they gave him that, that uh, you know, a man had seven wives, so when they, in the resurrection, whose who's husband, whose wife, who will, you know, Help me, Rick. <laughs> Who, belongs Who belongs to, yeah, there you go. You, you get it, okay. Um, and so, but Jesus says, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls him God, the Lord God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living for all live to him. So death is not the end of you. It's definitely not the end of you. And we lost my mom a few years ago. And I think it was last week I told you about, you know, some of the miracles that my mom had done. But we lost her and we lost her early. And it was hard. And uh, during that grieving time, I would go around and say, Mom is dead. Mom is dead. You know, it it hurt. And and God spoke this verse to me. He said, all all live to me. It was like he corrected me. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I quit saying that. I mean, it was a grieving process. You go through things, but that's how God helped me to heal. He said, all are alive to me. I had to change my perspective because we don't grieve like the world does. Death is a temporary state. It doesn't get the final say. God gets the final say. You don't believe that? Read the Bible, what it says about judgment after death. That is the final say. Death is not the final say. God is the final say. Come on. And we're serving the one who has the final say. So go to verse 14 with me. It says, So so they're thinking he's talking about sleep. And Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus has died. (laughs) And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. He just finally said it plainly. Lazarus has died. He took away all their false hopes of Lazarus sleeping and getting better. You know, took away their delusion thinking, oh, if he just rests longer, he'll get better. You know, it's good to be plain and clear with God. You don't have to go through all the niceties and stuff. You can be direct with God. Thank God, right? You know, try this. God, I have made a mess. It was my fault and I don't know what to do. That's a good place to start. God, I did wrong. I was the one who was wrong. I confess my wrongdoing. ask for your forgiveness. How about this one? God. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I call on the name of Jesus. Come on. We've got to come to terms with where we are. Lazarus was dead. There was no hope for him outside of a miracle. And when you're separated from God, sometimes there's no hope for you outside of a miracle. When you are separate. And even as we walk this, we can come into places in our lives where we encounter things that are bigger than what we can do. And there's no hope except for a miracle. But you know, when you use your GPS, you know, your GPS on your phone, if you go in there and you turn your location services off, it doesn't work. It needs to know where you're at to take you where you need to go. Come on. And we need to start with where am I at right now? God, I am in a mess. (laughs) But that honesty with God will take you to where you need to go. Don't be afraid to be honest with him about where you are right now. Come on. Verse 17, now, when Jesus came, so they they, they head out. I'm skipping verses. I'm sorry. When you read the story, you'll see a few more things in here. But for the sake of time, I just, I wanted to get it on. And like I said, verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, four days. So Jesus waits two days. Lazarus is in the tomb four days. I'm telling you, the way I've tried to calculate it every way, I cannot see any way Jesus would have got there before he died. If that messenger left and Lazarus died the moment he left and he took a day to get there and then he waited two days and then a day back, there's your four days, right? Even if he would have been alive when he'd have been there, that would have meant it was a longer trip. Just do the, do the calculation. Jesus was not going to get there physically before Lazarus died anyway. But like I said, he already spoke the end from the beginning. So he gets this message. This is also interesting. Jesus must have known by the spirit that Lazarus had died because he told the disciples, Lazarus is dead. But the message he got was Lazarus is sick. Right. Isn't that interesting? So he knew that Lazarus had died, but when he got there, he didn't know how long Lazarus had died, been dead. He says he found out that Lazarus had been dead for four days. So it's just interesting that, you know, he had knowledge by the Spirit of God that he was dead, but he didn't actually know every single detail, it seems, because he learned that it had been four days when he went there. It's kind of neat. Verse uh, verse 20. Um, yeah, look at this. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and she met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, this is what I want you to focus on today. Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not I have died. Go down to verse 32, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, same thing, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come to her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? So they said to him, Lord, come and see. In the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how they, see how he loved him. And then some of them said, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You hear what everybody is saying? Martha, if you had only been there. Mary, if you, if only the Jews, couldn't he have, (laughs) if he had been there? How many times do we get stuck in the past? If only I had had the opportunity. If only I had someone to help me. If only I had not said those words. If only, if only, if only, if only. If only I had gone out, not gone out that night. If only he had or if only she had. Really good. What are the things you regret? It's time to give those to Jesus. Yeah. It's time to turn those over to Jesus. Maybe the thing you need right now is not that thing you think you missed out on, but maybe you just need resurrection life. Maybe you just need what Jesus can give you right now. Listen to the um, Holman Christian Standard Bible. It says, or well, here, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled had to be interesting seeing Jesus like that. Listen to the Holman Christian Standard Bible. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, listen, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. There was anger. The uh, Jubilee Bible says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, he became enraged in the spirit and stirred himself up. The Living Bible says he was moved with indignation and deeply troubled and the, the new life translation says deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled can you see Jesus <clears throat> deep anger welling up you know what that actually means that we're deeply moved it says he was deeply moved in his spirit it means literally to snort like an angry horse <laughs> that's the literal translation <clears throat> to snort like an angry horse to roar with rage I think we lose this aspect of what happened here because we major on that verse, Jesus wept, you know, Jesus wept. Yeah, he wept, but then he turns around and he snorts with anger and he stirred up. (laughs) He's ready for a confrontation with death. Mm. Right? Come on. Greatly troubled means to stir up. It happens to be the exact same word that's used in the water. When the angel came and stirred up the water, Remember, they were waiting for the troubling of the water. That's the same word. Remember, I said when we were talking about the troubling of the water, that Jesus doesn't need us to stir up the water. He needs you to be stirred up. Come on. It's time for us to get stirred up. Come on. We need to stir. You know, it's good sometimes to be angry. Oh, boy, that went over well. <laughs> it's good sometimes to be. I'm going to double down on it. It's good sometimes to be stirred up and angry. Come on. It's amazing, you know, how deeply these emotions with Jesus were because here he is crying. On this one hand, you see this tenderness and compassion that the Jews said, see how much he loved him. And yet at the same time, in the same moment, he's filled with anger and indignation. Well, sometimes we need to be angry at the things that are hurting God's creation. We need to have indignation at these at these things that are working against God's plan, working against God's program. And death always has been and always will be God's enemy. You know, inner peace is not the be all and end all of Christianity. Inner peace is Eastern religion. You know, meditation to have peace. Sometimes Christians get stirred up. And speak a word and raise the dead, and bring life into a situation. Come on, I'm just telling you. Read in the Bible, look at how the apostles, Paul got so vexed with that girl following him around, filled with a demon. He turned around and said, come out of her. <laughs> he wasn't just, let's just have the peace of God. And I mean, it was a confrontation. Come on, not, you know, it depends on your personality. Some people are overly confrontive. I'm probably not preaching to you. <laughs> But some of y'all are too nice. (laughs) I'm probably preaching to you. It's okay to confront the wicked and the evil and demonic forces that are messing with you. Because you've been given authority over them. And sometimes you need to put your foot down and say no. Or no. (laughs) No. Oh, come on, you know the story of Miss Smith Wigglesworth watching the lady tell her dog to go home. Now go home, go home, little dog, go home. And the dog wouldn't listen until the, the train starts coming that she has to get on. She's like, I told you to go home. And she yells at the dog, stomps her foot, and the little thing tucks its tail and runs home. And Smith goes, that's how you do the devil right there. Come on. Yeah. So sometimes we need to stir ourselves up. Can I quote the scriptures all that long? It's all right. Go pray in tongues and pray in tongues loud. And then ask for the interpretation and pray that out loud. Come on, declare the word of God over your situation. Speak to your mountain. It's all right. It's what Christians do. Come on. Then Jesus deeply moved again and says he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with the cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. This is the same loud voice that we're going to hear when he comes back. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Come on. Hallelujah. I'm glad Jesus said Lazarus or they would all come out. (laughs) But when he comes back, he's going to say, come out. And all those who are in the grave are going to come out. Come on. But, you know, sometimes it's all right to be stirred up. It's all right to, you know, think about this. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, they're all in the house weeping and wailing. He put them all out of the house. He put them out. And I'm like, excuse me, excuse me, could, could, could you guys leave? We just need a little space. I think he went in there and said, Every, out, out, everybody out, out. He put them out. He put them out. They didn't necessarily go voluntarily. He put them out. You get it? You know, he spoke to the wind and the waves. He stood there in the boat in the middle of the storm. How do you, how do you think he spoke to that? Right. Oh, dear Lord God, I'm praying in my heart that please let this storm go away. No. Peace. Stop it. <laughs> Be still. And the wind and the waves died down. Remember when uh, he healed the man with the withered hand? He looked around in anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. He said, stretch out your hand. Come on, he's, God is looking for a showdown with the devil and he wants to do it in you. Yes. Come on, we need to be angry with the things that God, are, God is angry with. We need to grieve over the things that God grieves about and we need to rejoice over the things that God rejoices about. Amen, come on.